be back in 1 John this week, 1 John 2, 12 through 14. 12 through 14. And as I had mentioned earlier, Richie Goodrich will be here next week. Our family will be away for a couple days visiting with the girls as they're on um, spring break in Chattanooga. So we're going to take that time and go visit them so they don't have to drive all the way back here. And uh, Richie will be here and it will be a wonderful uh, time for you guys to be with him and for him to bring you God's word. You may remember where we were. Uh, John opened up uh, his letter just kind of focusing on Jesus. He was the one that they had heard, that they had seen, that they had touched. And then he moved into these uh, situations where he talked about what it looks like to be a believer. The stated purpose of this letter is in in 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. And so what does it look like? John lays that out. He says one of the first things we need to do is renounce and confess our sins. We renounce and confess our sins. You see that a 1, 8 through 2, 2. He, next thing he says here in the text is obey the commandments of Christ, which is 2, 2 through 2, 6. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at love the brethren, love the church. So that's what He has called us to do. That's what we, we uh, look like as believers. That's what believers look like. And so today as we come to the text with that in mind, let's hear from God's Word from 1 John um, chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 12 through 14. 12 through 14. I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that we would unpack it, understand it together, Lord, that it would uh, fill our hearts with joy, help us to be strong in the word, and uh, let it point to you, the gospel, because we need you and the gospel so much. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever come to the Bible before and as you're reading it and you're thinking about the words that God tells you that you think, wow, that's a beat down. (laughs) That's hard. I I wonder if I'll ever uh, uh, be able to do that. I wonder if I'll ever be able to put uh, to death the sin in my heart and be faithful in confessing that sin. I wonder if I'll ever be able to obey the commandments of Christ and hear His Word and delight in His Word and live out in that way. I wonder if I'll ever truly love the brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, as as your Word tells me to. The Bible, including John's letter, is always simultaneously building us up 
uh, in a believer's assurance while at the same time undercutting a false assurance in order that we may know that we have eternal life. This interesting section is then a pause in John's flow of thought. An interlude, if you will, to take us back to some fundamentals of the Christian faith that we may remember what we stand on and who we are. It is though he wants to stop after he's, he's laid out these things that we should be about. He wants to stop and he wants us to think about and also remember who you are. You will notice there are three groupings of people that John is writing to here. He's writing to children, he's writing to fathers, he's writing to young men, and he kind of repeats himself. He changes the verb forms there from I am writing to you to I write to you. And so there's a lot of things going on here and a lot of people have struggled with it. A lot of ink has been spilled on trying to discern what John is trying to communicate here. Most throughout church history, though, have seen this as John relating warmly to the church. He's relating warmly to the church. And on various levels, he's speaking to um, spiritual levels within these groups instead of age-appropriate issues that he's talking about here. As Paul does this as well. He He talks to the church as children many times in his letters. So whatever the case may be that's going on here in this section of 1 John, whatever he's trying to communicate rhetorically is a variety of expression, what he communicates is as true for each group as it is actually for all believers. And so that's how we're going to look at it today. We're going to look at it as he is speaking to every single one of us. And you'll see how that unfolds as we go. So here's what we want to focus on today. Here's our focus. Every believer must stand assured on the foundations of the Christian faith. Every believer must stand assured on the foundations of the Christian faith. You are forgiven You have a growing fellowship and relationship with God. And you are victors in Christ Jesus. So you are forgiven. John begins with one of the most simple and basic truths of Christianity. We have been forgiven for all of our sins in Jesus' name. You may remember when the angel came to Mary. And the angel looked at Mary and said, there's this one, or looked at Joseph, I'm sorry, he came to Joseph. And he looked at Joseph and he said, Joseph, this woman is going to have a baby. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You want to stop there in that moment when the angel's talking about that. And you want to say, why? Why? Why did he have to come? Why did he have to do this? What's going on here? Well, it's it's important that we always remember and acknowledge and embrace this biblical gospel reality. Here's the truth. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything in the earth, in the universe, the stars, the cosmos. He created every single bit of it. He created it perfectly holy and just and righteous. It was perfect. 
Because He is perfectly holy, just, and righteous. And He created man and woman, as we see in Genesis, in His own image. And, and man and woman are the, the, the pinnacle, if you will, of His creation. Why is that? Because we are made in His own image. What separates us from other creatures? It is that we are made in God's image. And so we were created for... Um, to live in perfect harmony, not only with, with one another, but also with Him. Then you know what happened. Our original parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. And they ushered sin into the world. And as descendants of Adam and Eve, we have all participated in this sin. And because this God is just and right to deal with us by giving us His wrath... And ultimately, separating us from Him forever, we see that we're in a mess. We're in a mess. And it's devastating. Perhaps you have at one time had a friend call you up or send you an email or something. God forbid a text, because it's just wrong to send somebody a text to this. Hey, I need to meet with you. They say, I need to meet with you. Uh, can we meet at Starbucks or can we meet here? And you say, sure. And when you get there, you realize as you're sitting down and you're talking after the small talk stops, that they are going to confront you on an issue. And the whole time you're sitting there and you're hearing these words, you're thinking to yourself, I'm really not that bad. Surely they're wrong. I could not think that way. I could not act that way. But then as the conversation continues, maybe the Holy Spirit prompts your heart and you realize, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. One of my favorite stories of Rich Mullins, he was traveling in Germany, I think it was, and he and Beaker were on a train. Beaker's his buddy that wrote songs with him. And they were on a train and they were riding and they were talking about some serious sin issues in their lives. And he was thinking, no one can understand me because we're in Germany. They don't understand what we're saying. A few minutes later, someone came up to him and said, aren't you Rich Mullins? His answer is classic. Yes, I guess I am. As he was thinking about all the sin he had just confessed. It's devastating. It's devastating. We can't believe it, but we know that it's true. The devastating reality is, as David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In Genesis 6-5, God proclaims, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of, his, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is the devastating reality that we see in this truth. Not only woven through the fabric of the newspapers we read every day. But also woven through the fibers of our own beings. We're all sinners. All of us. But thankfully... God did not leave us in this mess. He didn't leave us in our own mess. He didn't leave us in the mess of this cursed world. Instead, the Son of God entered into the world. He took on flesh as Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life that we could never live because of our sin. And He died a death that we so rightly deserve. 
He was crucified, the Scripture says. He was dead. It was, it was true that He was dead. Craig's going to do a Sunday school uh, lesson or a pair of Sunday school lessons coming up where he's going to talk about the validity from a, a medical doctor's perspective of how dead Jesus was. He was dead and he was put into a, 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 a tomb. On the th- but then after he was put to, in that tomb, the stone was rolled away, you remember, and Jesus came out of the grave. He rose again on that third day from the dead. And this demonstrates to us, now listen to me, not just literally, as in l- l- literary here, but as in historical liter- literary significance, that Jesus Christ gave a sacrifice acceptable to the Father. It's historically true. And brothers and sisters of Christ, this is a tremendous gift offered to us. And our response to the good news of the gospel of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is joy and faith. I trust in that historical action that happened back some 2,000 years ago. I trust that He really went to the cross for me. And I repent of my sins. And so faith is placing your hope and trust in Jesus' perfect righteousness for us as Savior. And repentance is turning from our sin and obedience to Him as our Lord. In this faith and repentance, our sins are once and for all forgiven. And that's what He says here. You, beloved, are forgiven. Think about it for a moment. How wonderful that is. Think about that look that you gave that person. Think about how you misjudged that person. I Think about how uh, your thoughts go astray. Think about how greedy we can be. How, how self-promoting we can be. How self-preserving we can be. All of it. Forgiven. Forever. When we are forgiven by Christ, we have a restored relationship with the Father. Look at the end of verse 13. You know the Father. Think about it. You know the Father. So do you know Him? Have you received the gift of the Son? Have your sins been forgiven? If so, if that's the case for you, do you contemplate just how much He's forgiven you and just go, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Are you daily leaning on Jesus for that forgiveness and trust and repentance even though you still struggle mightily with sin? Are you trusting in Him? Brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart. We are forgiven. Now the second thing that John tells us here, not only are we forgiven, But we have a growing fellowship with God. A growing fellowship with God. We see this in verses 13a and 14a. He says, I am writing to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. All Christians, mature and immature, have come to know God. We are all, by by all rights, sons and daughters of the Father through the Son. And while every one of the rest of the world is running around going, OMG, oh my God. We get to say, oh my Father. Do you see the difference? Oh my 
Father. That's the relationship He calls us to. He's he's a wonderful Father, a great Father, a perfect Father, unlike any earthly Father, good or bad, that we may know. No longer are we enemies to Him, but through the forgiveness of sins and the gracious adoptive nature of redemption through Christ, we all know Him as Father. And so as soon as you make that that proclamation, I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a son or daughter of of the Father. But then every year, Every year you grow more and more as you're walking in His Word, as you're walking in light with other believers, and you're walking in obedience to Him. You grow deeper and deeper in faith so that some among us here in this congregation actually become spiritual leaders. They actually become spiritual leaders. And this is a challenge to us all. You see, the church as we see it here, is a covenantal community. That's what we're looking into in this text. A community of people comprised of all kinds of people. People of different ages, of of varying levels of spiritual maturity. And so what this tells us is this. Children's Sunday school and youth group are not the total of the covenant community. The men's and women's Bible studies uh, do not own the four full-orbed view of what it means to be in covenant community. Nor do our connect groups. God's people are not restricted to any age group, gender, race, economic status, or nationality. And even more so, I believe, biblically speaking, that each and every individual Uh, in the church should have people of every age and stage and maturity in Christ. See, I think when we look at the church today, that's what we see. That's what we should see from a biblical perspective. Everyone is welcome to come. All are welcome to come. You're welcome to be here. Whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're male, whether you're female, whatever job situation you're in, it does not matter. Come. Come and be a part of this community. And so in that community, one of the things that I think that makes the, 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 the kingdom and the church beautiful is that, that beauty of having that spiritual leadership. People growing deeper and deeper in the faith as they take that, that understanding and that knowledge and that faith and they pass it on down to other people. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that those other people, let's say we have a man come in here who's 60 years old, and it's, it's his first Sunday, and he comes up to me and he says, I'm a new believer in Christ today. He's a brand new believer. He's got a lot of water under the bridge in his life, doesn't he? And so some of you who are younger, some of you who are younger are actually his spiritual leader. Isn't it interesting how the Lord does that? Let me just give you an example of, of a little bit of this from a team perspective. A couple weeks ago, I went to Aaliyah's volleyball game. Aaliyah and Riley are playing on this volleyball team. And um, so during the volleyball game, they don't have enough girls to kind of play. So they had these older girls come. 
And if you've ever watched volleyball, it's just an interesting thing. So these, these little girls are just out there, and I can tell right away they're all timid all of a sudden. They don't want to hit the ball. Why? Because the girl that's older, that's really good, is running all the way across the court and hitting it up. And then if the little girl misses it, she's rolling her eyes. And so all the little girls feel like we can't play in this, in this, on this team because all the big girls are taking over. You see? Now what's interesting about that is, is as Chris and I talked about it, I said what the big issue about that is, is that's a coaching problem. You see, the coach should have told those older girls, girls, it's your job to help them. It's your job to step it down and to encourage them. Not roll your little eyes when the other little girl misses her, her hit. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the world. They don't know that. But by golly, the church should. You see what I'm saying? You see, that's what we need to understand about the body and the community of Christ. We have a growing relationship with God. And that growing relationship should go out to one another. Should be, should be pushed out to one another. Encouraging one another. Bouncing on one another. Leaning on one another. Loving one another. Instructing one another. Sometimes you might even need to have one of those confronting or might we say care-fronting talks with someone. So, for those of you who are less mature in the faith, do you know who the spiritual leaders are in our body? Is there anyone that you can look to and say, wow, I need to grow in my faith. That's the person I would go talk to. Do you take advantage of that? Do you step into that? Do you look... To, to, to find someone to help you, to grow you. Now for those of you who are older and more mature in the faith, do you seek out relationships with less mature believers? Now your job is not to show up on the scene and go, your guru has arrived. That is not your job. Your job is to get to know them. You might even just have conversations with them. You may uh, uh, ask them how you can pray for them. You may uh, uh, tell them you're praying for them. You might see something they do and encourage them. And then, who knows, maybe that'll lead into something else, something deeper, something more encouraging. Now, I'm going to just say something about that here with, with me personally. You know, I've told you before, when I was 14 years old, my dad died. Right? So it's different for me in a lot of ways. And one of the things I think it hit me just... Several years ago, I mean, you're going along in life and you see certain patterns and you see certain things, but you don't see it. You don't understand it. But all of a sudden I realized I always seek out older men to hang out with. I always do that. Because I didn't have a dad. I want you to think about that. I still do. And I'm an old guy now. And sometimes I look at it and I'm like, dude, you're 50-some years old. What's wrong with you? I still want a father figure. And the reality is, is that we all do. Because He is our ultimate Father. We hunger for that relationship. 
And that's why he's given us this community. And that's why it's so important. And that's why it's so glorious and beautiful. And so if I go through my life, I can point out to the guys, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. You know my current guy, because I talk about him often enough. His name's Roger. He's the guy I talk to. He's the guy I call. He's the guy I called Friday afternoon and said, how are you doing? I want a father figure. Do you? Will you seek that out? Or maybe I should ask, will you be that father? We need those relationships. We have a growing fellowship with God. God has given us this. If we're in the midst of it, it's a glorious thing. All right, so what he's told us so far is this. Number one, we are forgiven in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. The second thing that we see here is that we are growing in fellowship with God. We've known Him who was from the beginning. Whether you look at that as the Father, the Son, I've kind of focused on the Father end of that, but they're both there. They're both there, and we have a growing fellowship with God, and that is in community. So finally, what we see here is, is that you, Christian, are victorious in Christ. You are victorious in Christ. John says here in verse 13b, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14b, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. He says that there of the young men as well. Now, what do you think of when you think of young men? I think of strength a lot. Now, this hit me about 10 or 12 years ago. It's been that long, okay? 10 or 12 years ago. I was in fairly good shape. I was keeping up uh, running around at the gardeners with Ron and a bunch of kids all the time. And Ron is a very vigorous man, and he'll keep you going if you do any kind of game or anything with him. And so I was running around and doing all these things, and, and I could hang with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. Ultimate Frisbee, basketball, didn't matter. If you're a high schooler or a middle schooler, I could take you out. It's fine. Okay? So I went to Colorado, went to camp, and you guys might remember Matt Odom. He used to preach here some. Matt Odom was at the, the uh, RUF campus minister in Denton. He's now a pastor somewhere in the West, somewhere or maybe north of us. Uh, Matt is a wonderful young man. He's in his mid-20s, and we were doing a pickup game of basketball. And it was my job to guard him because we were the only old guys on the team. I was much older, and he was a younger man. And as I'm playing with Matt, I'm thinking to myself, have I gotten that bad? Am I that terrible? Krista's shaking her head back there. Yes, you were. Yeah, and I was. And what was going on there? Yeah, I was in my, you know, 30s into the 40s, and Matt was 25 years old. And he was strong, and he was fast, and he was agile, and he was fierce. And so that's what the Lord's drawing our attention to here. He wants to think about this, this picture here. John wants to, us to see that young men and young women and old men and old women are all strong in Christ Jesus. Christians enjoy the abiding consequences of Christ's victory over Satan in the here and now. So how is that? How is it that we're all strong? Sure, he might could be pointing to a few young men to draw our attention, but, but, but 
But we've all overcome the evil one, so I think it's a bigger picture here. And so what he's saying is that you're all strong in Christ. What is the source of the strength? It's not the flesh of youth. It's not the, the fierceness, the agileness, the fastness, or the strength of youth as you may think. It is the eternal Word, Jesus Christ. Um, the commentator Hamilton uh, lays it out this way. He says, union with Christ is union with the all-victorious Son of God. Satan is the, the defeated enemy. He continues to roar, but his head has been crushed by the risen, risen Lord. One mark of our union with Christ is that His Word abides in us. It shapes how we think and, and it fashions how we live. So go back with me just for a moment. Think about the first man, Adam. I mean, he's got to be the most handsomest, the most strongest, the most fiercest man to ever walk the planet outside of Jesus. Because he was created in that perfectness. You get it? And yet there at the tree, when Eve hands him the fruit, what does he do? He takes of the fruit and he eats it. I want you to just think about that for a moment. The Lord had told him, do not eat of that tree. I mean, can you imagine only having one commandment? I mean, think about it just for a moment. Only one. Do not eat. Because everything else is in a loving, caring relationship. Everything else is perfect. Do not eat of that piece of fruit. Don't eat of that tree. But he does. There in paradise, there is maybe the strongest, incredible, most gifted man ever created. There he was. And he took of that fruit. Now, I want you to fast forward in your mind to Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth. He's, uh, he's on the earth. And, and, and he's getting ready to begin his ministry. And the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit took him. He took Jesus. And he took him out into the desert. I want you to think about that. Broken world. Sinful world. Desert. No food. Don't know about the water thing. But he had not eaten for 40 days. Satan comes along. And he tells Jesus... It's all yours if you just bow to me. Several different times he does this. What does Jesus do in his weakness, in the desert, in the brokenness of this world? He stands strong. How does he stand strong? The Word of God. Every temptation that came comes back the response of the Word. comes back the response of the Word. He abided in the Word. And so every time Jesus was tempted in that dry and desolate place, He vanquished Satan by the Word of God that was abiding in His heart. And what John is saying here is that same Spirit-breathed Word continues to overcome the enemy of our souls today. This is the not-so-secret, honestly, of our strength. It is the source of our victory. Sure, we're in conflict with the enemy. And sure, it seems like he has us sometimes gripped by the throat. And sure, it may seem like we're never going to end in our great struggle with temptation. 
I feel that way, and I'm sure most of you do too. When will this ever be over? And I want to cry out with those in the Psalms, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? However, even in this conflict, and by the very fact that there is a conflict, by the very fact that you care, by the very fact that you want to grow, by the very fact that you want to look at Jesus, that you want to be sinless, by that very fact, we are standing on the victory over the evil one in Christ's name and by His great power and word. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, as you read through the Bible either through a year, or maybe you're focusing on certain passages, or maybe you're just memorizing Scripture verses and you're putting them in your heart, whatever the case may be, treasure and obey and believe the Word as you treasure and obey and hold on to and love the eternal Word who is Jesus Christ Himself. As He abides in you, so His Word will abide in you. And I think that's what the prophet means when he says, I'll write my Word upon their heart. Jesus comes into us when we trust Him and believe Him. And so what happens is, is millimeter by millimeter, we overcome the power and the deceit of Satan. And so, trust in Him. Hear me. You are forgiven. You have a growing fellowship with God. You are victors in Christ Jesus. Why is that? I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. I, I ask that it would penetrate our hearts and souls. That it would cause us to grow in greater and greater love to you. The only way this could happen, Lord, is by Your power and by Your Spirit. So help our strivings. Help our, our workings, Lord, by Your power and Your Spirit. And let us never, ever trust to our own devices, but look totally to You. We thank You for these precious realities that are ours in Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen.